Welcome to the second episode of This Is How You Do It, the new mashup series from The Guilty Feminist and Media Storm. We celebrate the marvellous, if slightly masochistic, can I say that? People working to make the mainstream media a little bit better. I'm Matilda Mallinson. And I'm Helena Wadia, and we're the hosts of Media Storm, the podcast that hands the mic to the people with lived experience and calls out what the mainstream media could be doing better to report on marginalised groups. Our guest this week is the award-winning journalist and activist who founded The Unwritten, a publication for people with disabilities to share their stories without them being reduced to trauma or inspiration. Well, just last week, she collaborated with The Daily Mirror to edit a fantastic series centering people with disabilities. You can still catch her Disabled Britain series on The Mirror Online, which launched with an investigation into the thousands of deaths linked to government failure to act on proven failures with its disability benefits system. Please welcome... A bit of crescendo. Rachel Charlton-Daly. Hello, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Rachel, you're tuning in this week from the northeast of England, which means you can't physically join us for what we like to be our glass of ice-cold weekday wine. Or rhubarb juice. Sorry, or rhubarb juice. This show's basically just a, a front for heatwave refreshments. How are you How are you handling the heat? I'm handling the heat really well. Yesterday, I was not handling the heat really well because I've got a chronic illness called um, lupus, which is triggered by heat and uh, heat and sun. So usually when the heat, when the heat hits, I just sort of go, oh, no, I need to lie down. Because you actually have an excuse to do that. I do that with absolutely no excuse. I, I have a, um, I have a get out of jail free card when it comes to the heat and sun. So when people start going, oh, typical British people, I go, well, actually. <laughs> actually, you're pathetic. I'm not pathetic. <laughs> also, I have to ask, are you drinking a hot drink? No, it's it's iced coffee. It's iced okay. coffee. I swear. Um... I swear it's iced. It looks like a hot drink, but it's iced coffee. I was about to say, that's incredible. <laughs> I always thought iced coffee was like this miracle sort of thing that was really hard to make. But basically, all you do is just put milk, cold milk in instead of hot milk. It's not that hard to make. Like they make yeah. they make it sound like it's really like amazing and stuff when you go and get it in when you go and get it in a coffee shop. But literally, all you do is put some ice in and pour and pour cold milk in. I'm like, been duped by the I've been paying four pounds fifty a time for this. Are you well, kidding? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Look, we 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 do love talking about iced coffee, but obviously, we're not here to talk about iced coffee. Although, maybe side note iced coffee podcast just write that down but um Rachel your recent series Disabled Britain has fronted the mirror over the past week and it's got investigations and features about disability that break from mainstream news norms in a whole host of ways um what was the thinking behind the series and how did you manage to get it in such a major publication? Well, the mirror actually came to me, which was the most amazing part of it. They said they were interested in doing a sort of series, but I don't think it was as big a conception as what I 
turned it into and they were actually just asking for writers in the early stages but I being as cheeky as I am went well if you're going to do this right surely you want someone who has the experience who can source the right sort of writers who will be able to sense check everything and be able to make sure that you're not going to turn things into trauma so what you really need is an experienced disabled editor someone like me brainwave and next thing I knew I was hired by the Daily Mirror to host this whole uh to do this whole thing and it's just been an absolute whirlwind and we never anticipated just how big this was going to be like I knew from my own experience how much I needed it but I never realized how much the community needed it. Mm, The feedback we've seen has been incredible. God I've been approaching freelance journalism wrong instead of pitching stories I should just be pitching me. (laughs) Shut up man. (laughs) I I I think I think it comes a lot with a lot with because a lot from the fact that I'm just the, there's a saying there's a saying up north that uh, shy bands getting out and this is something that I've definitely taken on as my own personal philosophy and I think if I don't if you don't ask you're not going to get it you know it's exactly why we need people like you in the editorial room at the same time I don't want to play the Daily Mirror down they listen to me in absolutely every aspect changing headlines that I thought didn't fit what we were trying to do because obviously you've got to draw readers in with headlines and stuff but I never wanted headlines to seem clickbaity or traumatic or anything like that we made sure we only had the right writers and even if they were celebrities and stuff we didn't want their stories to be to be I'm disabled and it doesn't stop me and that sort of thing we didn't want those sort of stories just every single aspect the Daily Mirror listened to us, like even up until the name, like there were those parts where we were, use, where we were still using language like uh, people with disabilities and stuff like that, where disabled people don't really like the term people with disabilities because it takes away uh, our personhood, you know. It's just how much they listen to me and I just never expected it because I've never experienced that as a disabled person. And it's wow, just like that says I've, a lot. I've, 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 worked, I've worked in this industry for five, six years and I've never experienced that as a disabled writer. I've worked for so many, so many publications who've used who've used my trauma for their own clickbait. And it's just never it's been amazing like to work with them. Something something that felt really different to me about your Disabled Britain series to other mainstream coverage of disability I've seen was the imagery. We love the imagery you used, me, from a style perspective, mostly. But what was the kind of picture that you were trying to paint and who were the photographers that you trusted to deliver this? So one of the main photographers on the series was a really good friend of mine, uh, Shona Cobb, and she is a disabled photographer herself. And that was really important to us. We wanted... Like, as I said, we wanted everyone where possible to be disabled. We didn't want the images to be of disabled people looking sad and disabled and, and sick kiddies and, and super inspirational photos of like of disabled kids running marathons and stuff like that. We wanted them to be real people. We wanted them to be real people living their lives. And, you know, disabled people, disabled women especially, are fashionable people. We are people who look, we are people who, who are happy and comfortable in our skin. So when we had uh, when we had it, when we had Amy walking around the streets with Ava, we had her in a gorgeous dress, and we had Ava in a lovely bow tie. And when we had Hannah, ba- Dr. Hannah Barr and Brown, we had her in a dungarees that, uh, until I realised that we're in the paper, had vulvas all over them. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I've just gotten vulva dungarees in the Daily Mirror. You're like, oh hey, Mirror, we're gonna smash some barriers with this great disabled Britain series. P.S. There's some secret vulvas in there too. That's one of your greatest achievements to date. Yeah. Well, you know, um, 
Presumably, many of the issues that you just described in terms of what the coverage is usually like, presumably a lot of those issues you described lie behind your decision to create The Unwritten. How did you come to to found that publication? I've been working in the media for five, six years now, and I, I always found it hard to get stories published that were specifically about disability that weren't heavily relying on trauma or weren't heavily relying on inspiration. And when I was, they were still edited to include, can you tell us how it made you feel? And things like that. And it was, it was, when, it was when my feelings weren't relevant that, that I was being asked to include my feelings and like being asked like really inappropriate questions, like, like how it affected my family and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I was just getting sick of, of having to mine my own trauma. And then of course the pandemic happened and that was, an especially awful time for disabled and vulnerable people because it was a time when you know we we were being shut inside our houses disabled people were were getting were getting really sick we were dying at a disproportionate rate and I was finding it harder and harder and it wasn't just me it was a lot of my disabled freelance uh, writing friends were finding it harder and harder to get our stories published we were being told oh we've already had a story on that this doesn't apply to the wider public and I'm like Six out of 10 deaths are disabled people. Why are you not? Why is this not front page news on every single newspaper? So I was just getting angrier and angrier and angrier that I couldn't write this and that that nobody wanted me to write this. And I've got my best friend to owe for this. Uh, My best friend, I think she got sick of me one day and she went, right, why don't you just start your own publication? (laughs) And I don't think she ever expected me to be serious. And I went, okay, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. The response was absolutely huge. And um, it's all just gone from there, really. The biggest thing that we wanted to do was pay writers. So we crowdfunded as much as we could because far too much disabled people are expected to tell their stories and not paid for it. And yeah, we launched in November 2020. And since then, we've we've just gone from strength to strength and it just keeps getting bigger and better. And I don't know where we're going to go from there, but... I'm really excited to see where we go. (laughs) I get really emotional every time I talk about it. (laughs) Because I love it so much. It just means so much to me, you know, like the the disabled community means so much. And all I ever want to do is just give disabled people a voice because Mm. we're so voiceless in all of this. Yeah. And I'm sure it means so much to the people who read it as well. We we do this little game on 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 this is how you do it I say we do it this is episode two so pretty much <laughs> traditions being made as we speak but but you know we, we, we're calling it the genie game you get a you get a genie giving you one wish with what you would change about the mainstream media but I really feel like you almost don't need it you're just your own genie you're, you're oh, just doing the dr- you're just doing whatever you dream you're making it a reality you some of the legwork let's just pretend that today Hel- Helena's your genie look at Helena she's a little genius also as we established before it's an it's a stingy genie because you don't get three wishes you just get one pretty crap genie I mean <laughs> so what what are you what are you going to ask Helena one wish to change anything about the mainstream media go people are allowed to tell their own stories and that it's not going to get turned into turned into trauma or inspiration that we're allowed to tell our own stories authentically and I'm going to add a little caveat onto this and that when we do tell our stories that uh, the language that is used is authentic language and not outdated language because there is still a lot of outdated language used 
around disability in the media. So technically, I just gave myself two wishes there. Yeah, Jeannie, are we going to allow that? I'll allow that because they're very <laughs> intertwined. But actually, I do I do have a question about the language, though, because, you know, you mentioned using disabled people rather than people with disabilities. When Media Storm, we did our episode in series one about ableism, we had a lot of various feedback about whether people preferred disabled people or people with disabilities. Our guests kind of, you know, saying whatever, we don't really mind. And we used both. But then we got DMs saying, you know, you shouldn't have used uh, disabled people, you should have used people with disabilities. So, yeah. yeah it's a minefield, to be honest. <laughs> As a whole, the disabled community prefers disabled people because we don't we don't need to be reminded that we're people first. We know we're people, you know, like it's 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 not a thing that we need to be reminded. A lot of the time it's it's non-disabled people that like to go, oh well, we don't see you as disabled. You know, right. it's just one of those sort of things. But at the same time, there are there are different people with different conditions who prefer to use that language so it's, it's all it's always best to ask well Rachel maybe you can tell us about the your favorite story you've ever reported on or curated or edited my favorite story I've worked on is uh when I worked on a story for HuffPost about uh, disabled users of TikTok TikTok approached me be- originally because they had a series I think it was like their top 10 or something and there was disabled people involved in it and I thought oh yeah this is great well done for all your inclusivity TikTok but then I looked into it and I realized it wasn't the top 10 it was a top 100 and there was only there was only four people who were disabled involved in the top 100 and then as I was talking to disabled people I was finding out all these terrible things about TikTok how they were shadow banning disabled people instead of blocking and uh, disabling accounts that were abusing disabled people basically they make it so people can't see your account and they think they thought of it they thought it was a way to protect disabled users Instead, instead of deleting the accounts of people who were abusing them. Oh, how patronising. And then in some cases, when the, when the disabled users were standing up and, fight, and fighting what uh, TikTok were doing, they were blocking, they were deleting the disabled users' accounts. Victim blaming. <laughs> when, you, uh, when you approached TikTok with this uh, story, what did they say in response? I got this guy. I... I don't think his name was Dan, but I want to say his name was Dan because he was such a Dan. Yeah, I can I, I can picture him already. Sorry, all the Dans out there, we love you. But I said I'm not available for phone calls. Uh, I was like, it's quite it's quite late. I'm sorry, I'm not available for phone calls. He'd gotten my number somehow. They kept ringing me to give me a statement over the phone, even though, like I said, please please send me this statement. And he just kept barraging me with like absolute bullshit saying that like oh these were policies that were put in place to protect the users we're changing the policies and we need to know the uh the accounts that uh that had been affected but we can't see this happening to anyone whilst this was happening one of the accounts that I told him about again got deleted it just got worse and worse I'm getting so much aggro when I just want a statement Dan sent me Dan sent me a statement by email really patronizingly and we we didn't we ended up using like just a sentence. But that's that is how you know when you found a story when when they call you up on the phone to tell you that you don't have a story. We're changing it. There's no story. But they're like we're we're gonna call you like fifteen times just to tell you that there's no story here. Okay, like you did you compute there is no story here. <laughs> Nothing we are worried about. 
they did eventually end up changing some of the policies around uh around harassment on TikTok. I mean, I can't officially take uh take responsibility for that, but they did change some of the policies around harassment. But mm. it's it's ridiculous, it really is. All the while they were bragging about how many unique users they had on TikTok and stuff. And I was like, yeah, it's great you've got all these unique users, but But half of them are pricks. <laughs> how how many of those how many of those are telling women to are telling women to get their tits out and go kill themselves, you know? Well, exactly. And I think that is a good space for us to take a little break, have a little sip of iced coffee or, or maybe may, maybe something stronger after that. And we'll be back in just a few seconds. Welcome back to This Is How You Do It. Well, um, Rachel, in the UK... Uh, We're looking down the barrel of a pretty tumultuous times. Uh, The Conservatives are choosing our fourth Prime Minister in six years, um, and we hilariously managed three education secretaries in as many days. Um, Any hot takes? (laughs) (laughs) I I just hope that one of them likes disabled people in some way shape or form and doesn't want us all dead but I cannot see that happening anytime soon that's a big ask that's a big ask it's a really big ask it really is who 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 do you think is who do you think is the least depressing option Penny Mordant maybe I don't know (laughs) just because just because we we know the least about her so it's the least damaging information about her for real kind of what what would be the immediate policy that that you think needs implemented in terms of helping disabled people? I know that there are so many in this country, but what would be the immediate one? We need an overhaul of the benefit system. Mm. And we need we need just more. We need more in the benefit system, but we also need how the benefit system is assessed. At the minute, the benefit system is more about proving you're disabled. Benefit assessments should be done by trained professionals, and at the minute, they're not. Who who is doing the benefits assessment? They're basically just just paid assessors. They're um they're not trained doctors who do them, you know. And you don't have to have any sort of knowledge about disability or, or medicine or any sort of illnesses to actually do the the assessments. You're given just a, a, a checklist. It's not viable, especially for chronic illnesses, because you're asked you're asked things like how how far can you walk and how and how many hours can you work and things like that? And yeah, I could do. I could. I could probably walk quite far on my, on my good days, but on my worst days, I can barely get out of bed. You know, and what what are you asking me to assess here? Mm. And there's just there's just not a good assess. There's not a good assessment process because if they see you on a good day, they're going to write down on the form she looked healthy. Right. Oh, Penny Morden, if you're listening, yeah, get it sorted, <laughs> Penny. You're probably not going to though. Get it sorted. <laughs> Rachel Charlton Daly, thank you so much for joining us on This Is How You Do It. Where can people follow you and do you have anything to plug? Uh, so I am on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Rachel C. Daly. Please go and follow The Unwritten, which is uh, at The Unwritten Pub at tw- on Twitter and Instagram and theunwritten.co.uk. We are still crowdfunding at The Unwritten. The Mirror series is still online if you look for Disabled Britain and The Mirror. And I think that's about everything that I've got to plug. Lovely listeners, make sure you catch the latest Guilty Feminist episode on Giving Birth, a hilarious episode featuring Kiri Pritchard-McLean, Jessica Fosterkew, music from Grace Petrie, and special guest Melody Robinson, who runs all things birth and beyond. And of course, the episode is hosted by Deborah Francis-White. 
And on next week's Media Storm, we have something a little bit different. We will be airing our exclusive investigation into non-offending paedophile networks, speaking to people who have clinical paedophilia but have never acted on it, and are denied therapy and healthcare that is proven to prevent abuse. That'll be out next Thursday, in time for your morning commute. See you then.